How many times have you been maybe over to a friend's house and he's got this great whatchamacallit laying there, you know, and man, that's a great whatchamacallit. Where'd you get it? Well, I went down to Walmart yesterday and they had whatchamacallits on sale for half price. And, and so I just bought me one of them, said, call my friend. He bought one of them and said, you need to run down there and see if you can get you a whatchamacallit. And you go over to, to Walmart and guess what? All the whatchamacallits are gone. And so you call your friend, you say, well, you know, I went over to Walmart and they sold every one of the whatchamacallits. And what's he going to tell you? Well, you know, you snooze, you lose. So I'm going to talk about snoozing and losing this morning. Oh, we need to dismiss the children. I'm sorry. I see them going. That's okay, kids. We love you. So this morning we're going to talk about when you snooze, you lose, okay? So hang with me today. I'm going to try to point out a few things, and I'm going to try to, to uh, uh, you know, this has been rolling over and over in my heart for about probably two months now. And it's just been going on and on and on. And then when Pastor Sam asked me if I would speak this morning, I, I, didn't, really, uh, I didn't really have a question what I was going to speak about. I just had to figure out just how I wanted to get it out. So let's just... Ask the Lord this morning that He would help me get it out just the way it's rolling in my spirit. Father, I thank You so much. I love You and I appreciate Your mercy. I appreciate what You've done for us, oh God. I appreciate the fact that, Lord, that You come into our lives and You, and you energize us and You wake us up and you, and, and you cause our spirits to become alive, oh God, and help us, Lord, to never allow ourselves to be in the position, Lord, to, to have to listen to this kind of a, a statement as far as our spiritual life is concerned. We never want to be in the place that when we snooze, we lose with you, Lord. And we give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what a sound. That should wake you up. That's the sound that we hear about in, in Joel, the second chapter, verse 1, where it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Joel. And sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabits, inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Now, the word trumpet here in the Hebrew should have been, the word was shofar or some people call it shofar. I heard a, a, a rabbi the other day say shofar, and so I figured he probably knows what he's talking about, so I'm going to go with that. But anyway, that's the sound of the shofar. It's a, it's a horn that was uh, made from a, a ram's horn, and uh, this had a very special significance in Israel in, in, the, in the day that this was written, and still has a special significance in the land of Israel today. Now, this horn could be made out of... Uh, the, the horn of any animal, uh, as far as uh, I think the bovia uh, group of animals, couldn't be made out of a cow's horn. 
They wouldn't let them do that. And of course, you can't make it out of antlers because antlers are not hollow. But they could take a, a, any one of those uh, creatures over there in that part of the world that had hollow horns, and it was allowed for them to make a horn from it. And that had a very special significance. It was sounded on days that were holidays. It was sounded when there were special announcements to be made. It was sounded uh, uh, at the beginning of the year on the, uh, 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 the new year. Actually, they call it the head of the year. Uh, and it was a very special thing, that, and it was supposed to, to wake up the inhabitants. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew Torah actually says that, that the sound of the shofar says this to them, Awake sleepers from your sleep, and slumbers arise from your slumber. So this was a, uh, something that was supposed to wake folks up, and it was used for all of these great things, but one of the things that it was used for most prominently was an alarm. If there was peril impending upon the city of Jerusalem, then they were supposed to sound the alarm. And that's what uh, the prophet Joel was talking about right here through the Spirit of the Lord. Sound the alarm in Zion. Uh, and, and, and let it, you know, sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Blow the trumpet. Wake folks up, in other words. Now, if you look at the city uh, of Jerusalem and look at Zion throughout Scripture... Uh, we know that that's a, a type and shadow of the, in the past of the church in the future, in the modern day church. And I believe that Joel was speaking not only to the blower of the shofar in old Jerusalem to wake up that city, to wake up that land, to make them be aware of something, that big, something big was about to happen, but he was also speaking down through the centuries to us in the modern day church, wake up church, because something big is about to happen. And I believe that you and I are be a part of that alarm. Now, you know, I looked up the word alarm, and it, it's to, to warn of impending danger, to alert, or it could be, in the noun sense, any device used to warn of peril. So in this particular case, the shofar was an alarm. I mean, it's kind of like your modern-day alarm clock, you know, uh, but it was used for an alarm to wake people up to, to let you know there was impending peril coming about. And it, it was kind of, um, like I said, it was like your modern day alarm clock. Speaking of alarm clocks, how many of you, like me, have trouble with alarm clocks? I mean, you're sleep, the best sleep you've had all night, right? You're, you're there, you're sleeping. It's, I get up at 4.30 in the morning. So about 4.30 in the morning is when my best sleep is going on. And that alarm clock goes off. And sometimes it's irritating. You know what I mean? And it really gets under your skin. Sometimes it just, it's, what? But, you know, thank goodness, in modern days, all of our alarm clocks have a snooze alarm. And we know what the snooze alarm is all about, right? So you reach over, you hit the snooze alarm, and ten more minutes. I give you ten more minutes. And that's pretty nice. I mean, you know, it's nice to have a snooze alarm on there because sometimes you just, you just can't get it done, you know, when that first alarm goes off. You just can't get awake. It just, it doesn't do the job for you, right? So you hit the snooze alarm. But I don't know, don't know about you, but I could get in the habit of hitting the snooze alarm and hitting the snooze alarm one more time. And maybe just one more time hit the snooze alarm, and before you know it, man, I'm having to rush to get out of the house in time to get to work on time, you know. So we, we abuse our snooze alarm, so to speak. We beat on it pretty regularly. So, you know, we're not talking about 
uh, a deep sleep. We're talking about just kind of easing back into our sleep, just resting for just a little while, and, and let the snooze alarm kind of, you know, keep us on that edge of going back to sleep. Now, you know, the, the, the snooze alarm is kind of a good thing, but it's kind of a bad thing because you, you come to rely on it, you know. Used to when I was younger, and there weren't any such thing as snooze alarms back on some of the old alarm clocks that I had. You know, you wind them up, and, and the bell would start ringing, you know, and you'd reach over and you'd slap them, and they went off, it was off. So I figured out if I put it on the other side of the room, I had to get up and go turn it off, and once I got up, well, then it was okay anyway. But, you know, the snooze alarm came along and made it so much easier. And that's what we are, where we are today sometimes in the church. We've made it so much easier. You know, when the alarm used to go off, we used to get up, go across the room, turn it off, and now you just kind of reach over and tap it and tap it. And, you know, we continue to do that. There's a kind of uh, brings to mind about a funny story. By the way, snooze means it's just a light sleep. It's not really a heavy sleep. It's a, it's a nap or, or, or to doze. And it reminded me of a story that I heard long ago, and, and I'll tell you this little short story. It seemed like there was this preacher up preaching, and every Sunday morning he had a fellow that sat on the front row, and he would go to sleep. He would snooze on him. You know, and he just got irritated about the guy sitting there on Sunday morning, and he would study all week and give this great sermon, and the guy would go to sleep on the front bench, right? And so he just kind of said, I'm going to get him this morning. If he goes to sleep, and sure enough, you know, he's preaching along there. He looks down, and old brother, whatever Jones will call him, he's sitting there, and he just, he's dozing. He's into his snooze mode. So, you know, so he kind of eases around. He said, uh, I'm going to ask you a question this morning, folks. And he kind of lowers his voice. He said, uh, everybody that would like to go to heaven this morning, I'd like you to stand up. So everybody in the place stands up, you know. And uh, all except brother Jones, he's snoozing. So they sit back down, you know, and he's, so he's said, okay. I said, now, this is really going to get him. He's saying this to himself. He said, all right, now, everybody here that wants to go to hell, and in his best preacher resonant voice, he says, stand up, you know. Of course, Brother Jones is startled, and all he heard out of his little snooze was stand up, and he stands up. And he's standing there by himself, and he's looking around, and he's the only one standing up. And so Brother Jones says, well, Pastor, he said, I don't know what we're voting on, but it looks like you and me is the only one for it. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, just a little story about snoozing. You can get yourself in trouble, and you can find yourself in a, a, an embarrassing situation, but you can find yourself in worse than an embarrassing, an embarrassing situation when we tend to snooze. Now, if you think that snoozing is just a problem, just here or there, you know, it doesn't really happen except it only happens in other churches. It doesn't happen in my church, believe me. I, we, nobody snoozes here, right? No, no. Oh, come on. If they would go to sleep on Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, they'll go to sleep on us, every one of us. If you don't believe me, read Acts, the 20th chapter. Paul was over there preaching at, at uh, Traos. And he was there preaching, and he kind of went a little long. The preacher was kind of expounding a little long. And it says that there was a young man that fell out of a third-story window and fell asleep while Paul was preaching. Now, if he'll go to sleep on Paul, they'll go to sleep on me. I know they will. So the young man fell out of the window, and it killed him. So snoozing was deadly for this young man, but 
Thankfully for him, and fortunately, Paul had enough power of the Holy Spirit within him that he went down, he laid hands on him, and he arose from the dead. Now, don't snooze and don't fall out of a building because I'm not sure if I'm in the same place Paul is. I don't know if I can lay hands on you and raise you or not. So snoozing could be deadly to you. But you know, if we have enough of God in us, we can do what Paul did. So anyway, snoozing can be bad for us, but Jesus knew that it was going to happen. He, he knew in advance that people were going to be snoozing, not only in church, but you know, on the battlefield as well. As a matter of fact, he told a story about that in Matthew, uh, the 25th chapter. If you want to turn over there with me, we'll go to Matthew uh, chapter 25. We'll start at verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit there. This is a parable of the, the five wise and the five foolish virgins. Everybody's heard this, but we're going to talk about it just a little bit this morning. It said, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. Now, there's been a lot of, uh, of discussion about what made five wise and five foolish. I don't know. I don't know why the Bible called five of them wise, and I don't know why the other five were called foolish. But I know what happened in this story, and I know why that they were wise and foolish in this particular parable. And, and so we're not going to discuss all the merits of this uh, of, of why they were wise and foolish. We're just going to discuss the fact that they were there together, all ten of them. Now, which brings me to a point. They were all ten in this one place, and that indicates to me that they were all ten invited to this place together. It said there were five foolish and five wise, and said they took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So they were all ten invited to the wedding. As a matter of fact, According to this scripture and according to history, they were all ten a part of the wedding party. So five of them were wise, five were foolish, and yet they were all ten invited to the wedding party. So what does that mean? I don't know. We'll talk about that a little bit. I said, um, oops, I lost my... That's the thing about these electronic things. Anyway, we'll go to uh, verse 3. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels and with their lamps. Okay. According to what I can find out in my study, this wasn't the little lamp, you know, like the little candles or the little, you know, the little small things you carry around, just the little handheld jobbies. These were apparently like processional Torches. In other words, they had this big torch and they would lead the wedding processional with these torches. So they were uh, quite large from what I understand. And it said that they took their lamps, but they didn't bring any oil. The, the foolish ones did. And, and from what I understand, this was uh, quite an effort. You, they had the, uh, this large lamp to carry in the first place. And then you had to take a, a jug or a jar or whatever they carried it in, the oil separately because it was a, a pretty major deal. So they had to make the effort to carry both the lamps and the oil. But it says the wise ones did that, but the foolish ones didn't. So, five of them took the opportunity to do it. Five of them did not. It said, but while the bridegroom was delayed, notice this in verse 5, they all slumbered and slept. So, you know, 
Jesus knew there was going to be a problem with, with snoozing and, and uh, having a, a little nap time, you know, uh, all, not only in, in the world, but in the church as well. And he knew that it was going to be a problem. So he, he's concerned about this. Now, five of them were foolish enough to go to the wedding unprepared. Five of them were smart enough to go, and they had the preparation made, even though they dozed off and went to sleep. Now, next verse says that at midnight cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. Now, let's do a little background on this first. Why at midnight? Well, you know, he's just, just really telling us that it could happen any time. But in the days of Jesus, when a man and woman were betrothed, they weren't really married yet, and yet they were, they were uh, promised to each other, if you will. And it was the job of the, of the groom, rather, to go out and he would make a home and make provision and, and get everything ready for the, for the bride. And so he would go out and, and if he had to build a house, he would build a house. If he had to go out and, and, and buy a herd or whatever, he would do all of these things. But notice this, that it was the job of the father of the groom to let him know when everything was prepared and when everything was ready. And he had to be prepared at any time. And so did the wedding party. They had to be prepared at any time. So when the father of the groom said, Okay, it's time. Go get your bride. Then he would go and get his bride. Now doesn't that make a lot of sense on why that, that they were waiting around there tearing? And, and make something else clear too over in Mark. Um, where was it? Mark the 13th chapter, verse 32. It says, Of that day and hour... No one knows. Now the disciples had just asked Jesus when was going to be the end of the age and, and, and when was His coming going to be and all that. But, but Jesus answered in this way, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. So what is Jesus waiting on to catch away His bride? He's waiting on the okay of the Father. When the Father says, okay, it's time, it's ready, then Jesus is going to make that move. He's going to come back for His bridegroom. So I thought it just cleared things up for me when I found that out, that, you know, this was, they were talking about something that was traditional in their time, and, and of course, when we understand that, it, it clears things up in, in our mind. But anyway, it says that they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight the cry was heard. Uh, let's go to verse 7. It said, then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Now, everybody woke up and they began to trim their lamps. Now, if we go back up to verse 4, it says, the wise took all in their vessels with their lamps, but the foolish did not. So they, they got up, they trimmed their lamps. You can trim your lamp all you want to. And if you don't have any oil in it, it's not going to do you a lot of good. So, the five wise carried oil. They began to trim their lamps. They had fuel prepared for their lamps. Let's, we can call them torches because that's what they really were to lead the wedding procession. They began to trim their torches and get it ready. And so, they, they all trimmed their torches. But one of the things that I began to study out this week is, is uh, one of the writers that I, I was reading said that the foolish ones, when he trimmed his torch, when they trimmed their torches, all they had was the oil that was in the torch. And when they lit it, it burned for just a moment, and then it went out. 
You know, and that's what happens to a lot of folks when they're, you know, they come into the church and, and they hear about the, the kingdom of God and they begin to, to, to worship and they, they get something brand new in their life, you know. But then they don't get the all that it takes to keep it, to keep it burning. You know, and, and so it burns for just a little while and it goes out. And, and those folks, you know, we would have to liken them to the, to the foolish virgins, I guess. You know, that kind of reminds me of, they were kind of like the folks that, that run out of gas every year. Do you know that over a half a million people a year run out of gasoline on American highways? A half a million people. Now, I remember years ago, and this, you know, some of you folks weren't even around when this happened. But years ago, I bought a 1958 Chevrolet. And it was a used car, and I just got out of high school. And I was proud. Boy, it was clean. It was, you know, had original paint. It was a nice car. And I was just proud as I could be to drive that car. Until I got down to about a quarter of a tank of gas on the first time I had it out, and I ran out of gas. A quarter of a tank it was showing me, and I ran out of gas. Now, I can understand folks running out of gas in a case like this, and especially back in those days when gas gauges were not all that accurate in the first place. But in our modern automobiles, we've got accurate gas gauges. We've got little lights that come on on the dash, you know, that blink at us. And, and we've got these little red gas pumps that show up on the, uh, right at, on the speedometer and says, you're about to run out of gas. And some cars even have this sweet little female voice that says, Warning, you're about to run out of fuel, you know. So there's no reason to run out of gas. And, and yet statistics show that over 500,000 people a year run out of gas. Now why? Well, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they get too busy to put gas in their car, you know. Maybe they forgot. Or maybe they just thought, well, if, you know, what I've got in there will get me where I need to go. And I really don't need to until I get there, you know. Um, I knew this person that ran out of gas chronically. And I said, why don't you just put gas in the car? Well, you know, I didn't really think I needed it. I said, you know, so you were going this one place and you were going to stop there and you're never going to drive again, right? Put gas in the car. And of course, these days, uh, uh, our fuel costs are so high, maybe even people can't afford the gas. But there's half a million people that run out of gas every year. Because of lack of preparation, because of whatever. But in the case of these five foolish virgins, I suspect that it was lack of preparation because they knew where they were going. All ten of them knew where they were going. They were going to the wedding, right? They knew they were going to a wedding. They knew what the requirements of being at this wedding was all about. They knew they were in the wedding procession and they were going to be the ones leading the people down this path with their torches. They knew this. And they had ample opportunity to get fuel for their lamps just like the five wise ones did. And I don't know what their reasoning was. The Lord didn't tell me what their reasoning was. He didn't put it in this parable and He didn't speak it to me this week while I was studying it either. But I know that there were five foolish ones that were unprepared and five wise had their all. So it does take some effort to keep some oil in your lamp. And, you know, I don't know who these five foolish ones were, you know, if there's been a lot of discussion, why are they called foolish? What, you know, what it's all about? I don't know. I just know that they were unprepared. And folks, I don't want to be unprepared this morning. I don't want to be in the place where 
God can't use me because I'm not ready. I know, I know where I'm going. You know, I know where my destination is supposed to be. I know what is supposed to be required of me. So if I don't have the things to do, what I need to do to reach that destination and lead those people along with me that I'm supposed to be touching in my life, then I could be likened to the, to the wise, to the foolish virgins. I'm sorry. It's up to us. Do you know that the blower of the shofar, and actually the word blower there uh, in the uh, Hebrew could have been translated as blaster. I thought that was funny. Um, the blaster of the shofar, it was his job to warn the city. And, and so, you know, he was, he was going to warn Jerusalem and then it would go out from Jerusalem into the, the, the countryside and other blasters would blow the shofar to warn the people in the outlying areas. Now, if we go according to Scripture and according to, to uh, uh, what we've always been taught that, that Jerusalem represents in Scripture, which is the church, then we have to understand that they were talking to the church, that, that Joel was talking to the church Blow the trumpet in Zion. Awake the holy mountain first. After you get awake, after you wake up and get, and get stirred, and, stirred and, and moving around, then it's your job to get it out into the countryside and to wake up the rest of the folks. And these ten virgins, their job was to lead the wedding processional along the way until they got to the wedding, the place of the wedding. You know, I wonder how that we can be called the light of the world, as in Matthew, the 14th chapter, where it says, you are the light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid, if you don't have enough oil in your lamp to shine. If your lamp goes out, there's darkness anyway. You can't lead the processional with a dark lamp. And I think that that's why that the five wise, let's, let's go ahead and read the rest of this over here. It said, uh, let's go to verse 8. And uh, the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Now, I don't think they were being stingy or, or uh, selfish. I think what they were doing, the five wise, I think what they were doing was making a statement of the realization of the fact that if I give you my oil... And, and, you know, we split it all up, then when halfway to where we're supposed to be, all of our lamps are going to go out. Or all of our torches are going to go out. So there won't be anybody to lead the rest of the wedding party to the wedding. So it's up to us in the church to let our light shine, and nobody can shine it for you. Nobody can give you your own oil. You've got to go get your own. And there's only one place to get your own, that's from the Father Himself and the Holy Spirit. And, and if traditionally, uh, in, in Scripture, all has been represented or been a representation of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit living in me is not enough to shine and get not only me, but someone else to the promised land. I don't have enough of the Holy Spirit in me. And I need to stir up the Holy Spirit in me so that not only I can find my way, but everybody that's around me, my friends, my family, my neighbors, all the free people that I work with, so they can see the way to the, to the promised land as well. That's my responsibility. To keep my, my lamp trimmed. To keep my, my lamp full of oil. And the Holy Spirit is where I get my strength and where I get my, my strength to shine, if you will. 
You know, I don't know, maybe those foolish virgins were kind of like some of the folks that, that we all have in congregations that come in, and they sit, and they sing the same songs, and, and you know, they listen to the same sermons, and, and they, they, they give in offerings, you know, and never make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Never say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. You know, it's a good thing to go to church. I believe everybody ought to go to church. However, it's not the only thing, and it's not the thing that's going to get you to heaven. And I don't care what the name of the church is, the name of the door on the church, it's not going to get you to heaven. Only the Spirit of the Lord is going to get you there. Only by saying, I want you to be my personal Savior. We need to blow that trumpet in Zion. We need to let some folks know, some of the folks that's sitting in our congregation are going to be disappointed, I'm afraid, when that trumpet sounds and they realize that there's no oil in their lamp. They've been involved in a social club or something, I don't know. You know, I, some of that I don't understand. But I am so thankful for the goodness of the Lord this morning and so thankful that He is working in this in my heart to blow the trumpet. And, and I want you to understand that you can blow the trumpet too because the, the blaster could be any free man. You couldn't be a slave, you know, but you, but you could be any free man. And if you've been set free by the Spirit of God, if you've been set free by the, by, uh, the sweet goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're qualified to be a blaster of the shofar. You're qualified to sound the trumpet. You're qualified to sound the alarm in the house of Zion. Amen. Give him some praise. There's a couple of things that the shofar was used specifically for. And, and I think one of the most important was to announce great events and announce dangers. And, and there's, you know, if you're asking for examples of, of what's something that the shofar might have been used for, um, may have been used for... Well, I know it was used in, on holy days for the announcement of holy days. Uh, they were used to announce great, maybe the, the, the city needed this, this great announcement. But there's been a couple of times in particular that the shofar was very important. And, and for instance, when Jericho, Joshua marched around the city of Jericho, you know, it talks about blowing the trumpets. And well, those were shofars. And when they all blew the trumpet, what did the Bible say? That, that the walls came tumbling down, that they fell down. That was the power of what uh, God was trying to, to, to promote there, that there was power in the blowing of the horn. And, and there is power in the sounding of the alarm this morning. And, and, and people need to understand that you need to be aware of what's going on around you. Well, what is going on around us? Well, look at the news. There's all kinds of things going on around us. I, I, Brother Cade just mentioned something about, you know, there was, it just seemed like so much was going on around us in the world, and it is. But there's something coming up, an event coming up in this world, that uh, is it, kind of interesting. Starting in uh, April of next year, I believe it is, there's going to be four blood moons separated or divided by a total eclipse. And the blood moons are, you know, they're, it, it's a darkening of the moon. It, it turns red. It looks like it, it actually looked like it, you know, that it's the color of the blood. And uh, this has only happened three times 
in history before this coming up April. And of those three times in history, the first time, three times in recorded history, I don't know about before that, but the first time happened in 1492. Now, most of us sitting here, if we think about 1492, we think about Columbus. Columbus sailed the ocean blue in the year of 1492. Do you ever remember that little poem when you were in school trying to... Well, it's about Columbus, but it's really not about Columbus. In 1492, the, the king of Spain issued what was called the Edict of Expulsion. That means that all the Jewish people that were living in the, in the, the country of Spain, in Iberia, they call it, were going to be expelled. They had 14 days to leave the nation of Spain. That's all they had. And so they, this was persecution of the Jewish nation. They decided to, to, to get them all out. Another little interesting fact. Did you know that Christopher Columbus was an Italian Jew? At least that's what most scholars think. He was a Jewish man. He was an Italian Jew. And that's interesting. History never taught me that. But Christopher Columbus was an Italian Jew. And when they decided to expel all the Jewish people from the country of Spain, it was not Ferdinand and, and Queen Isabella or whatever that financed his trip. It was the Jewish merchants in, in the land of Spain that financed Christopher Columbus' trip. Do you want to know why? Because they needed a place to live. And he discovered what we call America... And a lot of good Jewish people live in America today. That was the first time. The second time that it happened was in 1948. Anybody know what happened in 1948? There was the reestablishment of the nation of Israel as a state, 1948. That's when uh, they had been, since 1917, they'd been living uh, back in uh, uh, the, the land of Israel, but they weren't recognized as a state. And in 1948... They were recognized as a state. Our president of our United States stood up in Congress and recognized them as a, as a sovereign nation. 1948. The third time that this happened was in 1967. Does anybody know what happened in 1967? It was called the Six-Day War, where the three nations, Jordan, uh, Egypt, and Syria, uh, went to war with Israel. Should have been a no-brainer. The, they, they should have beat Israel, and as it turns out, Israel beat them in six days. Israel regained about two-thirds of their land popular, or their land mass that they had, that God promised them and gave them. Israel was only about the, a third of the size that it, it was laid out in Scripture. And when they won this six-day war, they got all that land back, and they got back the city of East Jerusalem put Jerusalem back together, and it was united. Now, the reason I mention this is that three times this has happened in the history of the world. The fourth time is going to take place beginning next April. What are you saying? I'm not saying anything, but I am saying this. Something big is going to happen, and it's going to involve Israel. I don't know what that's going to be. I'm not, I'm not prophesying anything. I'm not trying to, to, to convince any, anybody of anything. I just know this. I'm trying to sound the alarm 
in, in His holy mountain. I'm trying to blow the trumpet in Zion. I don't know where you stand today. I don't know where your heart is today. But please understand me that even if, if this means nothing as far as the history of the world, there is no guarantee that you and I can walk out this door and make bedtime tonight. Our eternity can be called before us as we walk out the door today. I, you know, I'm not trying to, to prophesy anything except this. It's my job to blow the trumpet. My job. The Bible tells me if I see it coming, the watchman sees it coming, and he doesn't blow the trumpet, then the blood is on his hands. And I can't let that happen. This has been rolling around in me for about two months. And you know, I'm so thankful that the Lord has allowed me this day that I can release this from my spirit. I'd like for you to accept it into your spirit. If you're sitting here today and you haven't been asked yourself this question recently, am I absolutely 100% sure that if I die today, would I go to heaven? If you can't answer that question right now, I'd like for you to think about it just for a minute. We're going to give you an opportunity. If you have a family member that you haven't asked that question, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven if you died tonight? Or if you have friends or neighbors or people that you work with? I've made it my, my, my goal and my mission at work in the past couple of years to try to let everybody know that something's coming. I don't know what. But I know that eternity is coming for all of us. That's a guaranteed. The Bible tells me it's appointed man wants to die. Can't get around that one. It's there. It, it's in your face. But I know this. If the good Lord will allow me, I want to blow this trumpet till the day that my eternity stands before me and I stand before my eternity. So this morning, if you will, I'd like for you to stand with me. I'd like for us to shake off those, those snooze, uh, feelings of snoozing and get rid of the snooze buttons. Don't hit the snooze button anymore. It's a serious thing to stand before God. And I want to be ready. And I want you to be ready. And I want your families to be ready. And I want your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers to be ready. And I want all of us to be able to stand before God with clean hands and say, I sounded the alarm, Lord. So this morning, as we bow our heads, and as you consider... Have I been snoozing? I'd like for you to think just a moment of what it takes to wake yourself up, to shake yourself, to quit hitting the snooze button, to get up and get across the room. You know what? You can do that right now. You can get up and get across the room and you can come to this, this altar and we can all shake ourselves up. And I want to be the first one in the altar this morning to be awakened by that trumpet of God. And all of you that will join me, I'm going to ask if you would to come forward and join me to, to be awakened by God's trumpet, to be awakened by the sound in His holy mountain. Would you join me? Father, I thank you. Just come on. Father, I thank you. Yes, Lord. Help us, O oh God, to be shaken and awaken, O oh God. To be alerted, hallelujah. Let the alarm sound in our spirit and in our hearts, O oh God. Let us, O oh God, recognize, Lord. Lord, that you are...
coming soon, O oh God. And even if you don't come, Lord, right away, even if it's a while before you come, O oh God, that our eternity still is just a heartbeat away. It's one breath away, O oh God. Help me to be awake, Lord. Shake us all, O oh God. Let us leave this house, O oh God, with a new fire burning in us, with new oil in our lamps, O oh God, that our flame begins to burn bright. Lord, that there's no, uh, no darkening of our flame, no darkening of our spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, I'll give you the praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Father, we just ask you right now, oh God, Lord, to bless these that are in the altar, oh God. Lord, we lift up, oh God, Lord, all these that are here today, this morning, oh God, declaring in the name of Jesus, new strength in their life, oh God. Oh Lord, new spirit in their heart, oh God. Lord, new oil, oh God, hallelujah, in their lamps, and we'll give you all the praise, oh God. Lord, as we all lift our hands to you, oh God, as we all lift our voice up in praise this morning, oh God, we will allow you, oh God, to reach into us this morning with a new feeling, oh God, with a new spirit, oh God, with a new encouragement, oh Father, hallelujah, giving you praise along the way in Jesus' name, hallelujah. Father, we bless you, oh God, hallelujah. Right now, Lord, I just thank you for new oil, for fresh oil, oh God. I thank you, oh God, hallelujah, for awakening, oh God. I thank you, oh God, hallelujah, Lord, that people are seeing right now in their spirits those they need to talk to. I thank you, Lord, that they're seeing in their hearts right now, oh God, they're hearing names, oh Lord, in their spirit right now that they need to be calling out before your face, Lord. And I'll give you praise, oh God. Lord, and we'll accept that, oh God. We'll, Lord, we're going to believe Him into the kingdom right now. Lord, we're going to believe Him into your house right now. In Jesus' name, we'll give you praise. Hallelujah. 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 Father, we bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. And Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And if there's some of you that's up here, or maybe some of you that's still sitting back there, that don't know the Lord as your personal Savior. While nobody's looking, I'd like to ask you to just slip your hand up if you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior. Father, we just bless you. We thank you, Lord. Nobody lifting your hand that you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior. Thank God for that. How many of you feel like you've been maybe shaken a little bit this morning? That maybe the snooze alarm has been...